Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. The Reverend Billy Graham is known by some as America's pastor. He spent many decades traveling throughout the country and throughout the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in large stadiums, but also uh, to politicians and to other leaders. On February 21st, 2018, at the age of 99, Billy Graham died. His funeral was held at the Billy Graham Library under a symbolically large white tent in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think we have a picture of it up here. There you can see it. In attendance were many well-known uh, dignitaries and, and leaders, clergy throughout the world, even uh, the President Trump and Vice President Pence and their wives were there. Billy had actually planned this funeral a decade earlier so that it would be his last big tent revival in which the gospel would be proclaimed through his children. Billy was the first private citizen in 13 years since Rosa Parks to be laid to rest in honor at the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C. His casket was made out of simple pine plywood uh, that was made by, uh, by, I think we have a picture of that as well, that was made by uh, prisoners in the Louisiana State Penitentiary. It was worth about $200. Uh, he was laid to rest next to his wife in a memorial garden, and on his tombstone, uh, it simply read this. So Billy Graham has the dates there. It says, preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. What do you want on your tombstone? If you know the commercials, don't say cheese and pepperoni, all right? What do you want on your tombstone? What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered as? You know, when a spiritual giant dies, it makes a nation pause. It makes people consider eternity. It makes us think about what matters most in life and what we want to spend our life doing. Today, we read the story of the death of an even greater spiritual giant, which is the death of Moses. And it is an opportunity as we look through this passage to pause and to evaluate the bigger things in life, the eternal things in life, even the purposes of our life. And so if you would, please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And it is page 175 on that red Bible. Deuteronomy 32. Uh, we're going to be jumping a little bit around from 32, 33, and 34 today. Our primary passage is Deuteronomy 34, uh, but we're going to start back at Deuteronomy 32. And what we have in Deuteronomy 32 is the foretelling of the death of Moses. And then when we get to 34, which is our primary passage, it's actually the uh, account of the death of Moses. And then also uh, 
other stuff related to that. So, so we'll be jumping around a little bit. Remember, Moses is now 120 years old. He has led the people of God through the wilderness for 40 years. And now the Lord foretells the death of Moses to Moses. So Deuteronomy chapter 32, we're going to start in verse 48 and read through verse 52. Deuteronomy 32, verse 48 through 52. This is the word of the Lord. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses. Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for possession. And die on the mountain, which you go up. And be gathered to your people, as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Or, and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your servant Moses and how instrumental he has been to really the history of the world, how instrumental he's been to our faith, to our practice. And God, as we come now to this day of his death, the day of his funeral, Lord, pray that we would learn from him, that we would honor him, and that our lives would be changed because of him through you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Tim Keller, another spiritual giant that went home to be with the Lord this year, uh, makes the point that when we visit funerals, we are actually looking at the world in the way we should. Uh, if you've ever noticed, if you've gone to a funeral on that day, it's a solemn day, but it's a day in which you let more of the trivial things go uh, to the side. Like if there's a slow driver in front of you, so it, just, it just doesn't matter as much. And you start contemplating the more important things in life. Again, like eternity and, and what you're doing with your life and what your purpose of your life is and, and what you want the legacy of your life to be, what you want people to say at your funeral, what you want your eulogy to be about. Today, this passage gives us that opportunity by looking at the life of Moses and the death of Moses and the legacy of Moses. It's an opportunity to slow down from our busy life and focus on what is most important in this life and in the life to come. And so as we look at this, there are three things we want to highlight. We want to highlight the promised land of Moses, the painful loss of Moses, and the powerful legacy of Moses. The promised land, painful loss, and powerful legacy of Moses. First, let's look at the promised land of Moses, okay? Remember, we're going to turn to to chapter 34. Now, we're going to be skipping, so kind of keep your Bibles open, your page-turning finger ready. We're going to go to 34, verse 1. This is really the passage that the sermon is focused on. But again, remember, uh, God foretold the mo death of Moses, and now we see uh, the account of it. So verse 1 through 3 says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, 
That is the Valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. Basically, God takes him up a mountain to show him all of the promised land. We have a map that kind of shows us where this takes place. So right here, you'll see Mount Nebo, and here is the promised land. And God takes Moses up to Mount Nebo to show him the promised land. I, I thought of this as I was driving over Tower Drive Bridge. And as you drive over Tower Drive Bridge in Green Bay, uh, you can see Swamico, you can see Dykesville, you can see Howard, you can see all of Green Bay. You can even see into the De Piers. You can see all the various areas. And I, I, I picture it something like this, that God takes him up to the top of the mountain to show him all of the promised land. I actually found a picture uh, from the top of Mount Nebo. Uh, this is it. I walked there just for you for this sermon and took this picture and uh, with the help of Google. And, and, and you'll see here, uh, it shows the different places. There's Bethlehem. Uh, it also says here, uh, the distance to Jericho, 27 miles or kilometers, which I can't remember how many miles that is, but Jerusalem, all of these things where you can kind of see over the promised land. Now, most commentators agree that, that not only did God give Moses this general sight, but also give him supernatural sight to see the promised land in a way that is not, uh, not really possible by the human eye. And so we get to verse four, Moses is looking over the promised land and we read this in verse four. It says, and the Lord said to him, Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Again, Moses has been leading the people of God for 40 years through the wilderness to the promised land. And here God says, you will not go into the promised land. The Lord is reminding him of an act of rebellion against the Lord in his life, in which the consequences of that rebellion was that he would not go into the promised land. Again, if you go back to chapter 32, verse 51 and 52, if you want to look there with me again, God says, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh and the wilderness is in, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you but you shall not go over there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. So the event that the Lord is talking to Moses about, reminding Moses about, happens in Numbers chapter 20. And in Numbers chapter 20, the people of God are grumbling because they are thirsty. They want water for themselves. They want water for their livestock. And so they go to Moses, they go to Aaron, and they say, can we please get some water somewhere? And so Moses and Aaron goes before the Lord and asks for water. And the Lord tells them to assemble the congregation and to tell the rock that is there before them to yield its water to give drink to the people and their cattle. The Lord, as a good father, wanted to provide this water for his children. But then we read this in Numbers chapter 20, verses 10 through 12. It says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and Moses said to them, Hear now, you rebels, right? Moses is shaming them. This is not what the Lord called him to do. He says, shall we, talking about himself and Aaron, not the Lord, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Remember, he was supposed to speak to the rock, but he struck the rock. And yet God still pours out his grace upon his people. It says, and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And then immediately the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, 
And then here's the heart of their sin. Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. We may look at this passage and say, what is the big deal? God said to speak to the rock, and Moses struck the rock. Why is this but such an offense against the Lord that it would keep Moses and Aaron out of the promised land? Well, if you look at it in more detail, what you see is that Moses gets a little too big for his britches. Moses takes his authority and places it over the authority of God. He thinks he is the one bringing the water out of the rock. He thinks he is the one that Israel is rebelling against. He thinks he is the hero of the story. And so instead of doing what the Lord had commanded him to do, to speak to the rock, Moses strikes the rock, shames the people, angers the Lord. I don't have time to go into depth, but there's good reason to believe that this rock was to symbolize the Lord himself. That from the Lord, he would provide water for his children. And yet Moses, in frustration and anger and self-pity, strikes that very thing that's to represent the Lord himself. And so neither he nor Aaron would go into the promised land. That is the consequence of their sin. And when we get to Deuteronomy 32, the Lord is reminding him of those consequences. And also in 34 as well. Now you would suspect that when Moses is reminded of the consequences of striking the rock, of his sin, of his rebellion, of his unbelief, that, that when he's reminded he's not going to go into the promised land that he has, he, has, he has spent 40 years leading the people of God to, that this would be some sort of tragedy for him, right? That he would be bitter, that he would be angry, that he'd be frustrated, that he'd be upset. But that's not what we see at all for Moses. Flip to Deuteronomy 33. We'll not flip as much in the next points, but, but this point. Deuteronomy 33, Moses is pronouncing blessing over the people of Israel. Remember 32, God says, you're not going into the promised land. You're going up to this mountain to die. We expect Moses to be bitter, angry, entitled. Look what he says in verse 26 and 27. Moses says in Deuteronomy 33, 26, There is none like God, O Jerusalem, Jeshurun, that's upright ones, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. And then here is why he is not bitter or angry or disappointed. Verse 27, the eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. You see, the reason why Moses was so happy, even though he was not admitted into the promised land of Canaan, is because he knew he was going to the promised land of heaven. He was going to a place where the Lord God himself would be his dwelling place, where he would rest in the arms of the Lord forever. Something that seemed probably pretty attractive to a man who'd been wandering in the wilderness a very long time. God actually gave a foretaste of this hope in you don't need to turn there in, in Deuteronomy 32, 50, when he says, be gathered to your people. Go, to, go up to this mountain and die. Be gathered to your people. You see, Moses was perfectly fine not entering the promised land of Hanan, Canaan because Moses knew he was bound for a greater promised land of heaven. A, a few months ago, my family went on vacation in northwest uh, Wisconsin. We went and stayed at Copper Falls State Park in while I like camping, it is kind of like wandering around in the wilderness as well. You know, you get stinky and all that sort of stuff. 
And so usually, if we're on a long camping trip, we like to take a day and go on a field trip and do an excursion or something, get away from the campsite a little bit. And so I prepared the kids, and I said, hey, we're going someplace tomorrow. We're going to have to wake up a little bit early and get ready to go and things like that. And so we hop in the car, and, and where we're going is about an hour away and they're asking me all these questions about what we're doing. Hey, are we, are we doing this? Are we, doing, are we going to play mini golf? Are we going to Culver's? Are we going, like, like are we doing all these other things? Like, no, no, like, just, just wait, just wait and see. Uh, and then finally we get to Ashland, Wisconsin, and I finally let the cat out of the bag. I, I give them the surprise. I say, we are going to see the Apostle Islands, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, our plan was to kayak. The sea was too rough that day, so we ended up taking a three-hour boat tour, which was amazing. But, but when they found out that we were going to see the Apostle Islands, uh, many golf and culvers didn't seem like such a big deal anymore. They wanted to see something that they would probably never forget the rest of their lives. You know, as glorious as the promised land of Canaan was, it was, it was only culvers. It was only many golf compared to the glory of the promised land of heaven that Moses knew that he was bound for. Let me ask, what promised land are you longing for in this life? Are you longing for the promised land of financial security? Are you longing for the promised land of a happy marriage and a peaceful family? Are you longing for the promised land of health and wealth? Are you longing for the promised land of career success? Friends, all of these are good things, but none of them are as good as the promised land. And none of them are promised to Christians as the promised land is. The good news is that if you trust in Christ, you are destined for a much greater promised land, a permanent promised land, a promised land where Moses and Aaron and the people of God throughout history dwell, a promised land where the Lord is your dwelling place, a promised land where your weary soul will rest in the arms of the Lord forever. And so the promised land of Moses is not the promised land of Canaan, but the better promised land of heaven with the Lord, which is also our promised land if we trust in Christ. That's the promised land of heaven. Second is the painful loss of Moses. This will be shorter. Verse five and six. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, we're again, chapter 34, verse five and six. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And then listen to this. And he buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. And so Moses dies, and he's buried. And it says, he buried Moses. And the question is, who is the he that buried Moses if nobody knows where Moses is buried? Well, the only he that was with Moses when he died was the Lord. You see, it would have been shameful for Moses to not have a proper burial at the time. And not only does the Lord show grace to Moses by showing him the promised land and saying, your uh, children will inherit this land, but he also gives him the grace of giving him a proper burial, of honoring him. It's the same thing we do with our soldiers when they die overseas. We spend the money to bring them home so that we can give them a proper burial so that we can honor them here in our country. 
when no one else was around. The Lord himself did this for Moses. This is so beautiful because we see even though there are consequences to Moses' sin, God has a tender, loving care for his servant and wants to ensure that he has a proper burial. You know, the other interesting thing about verse 6 here is it says that nobody knows where Moses is buried. And the question is, why did the Lord not tell anyone where Moses was buried? And I think it's probably because Moses was such a great prophet who did wonder-working miracles, which we'll talk about later, that the Lord knows that our hearts are tempted to worship dead people. Our hearts are tempted to worship dead saints, to build them temples and churches and shrines. And even though Moses was a great man, even though Moses is worthy of our honor and our respect, he is not worthy of our worship. Worship belongs to the Lord alone. Verse seven and eight continues. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. He was supernaturally healthy. I mean, he was 120 years old and he climbed a mountain. That's pretty good. Verse eight, and the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. You know, as a kid, I kind of talk about this a little bit. As a kid, when I would go to a funeral and it would kind of take a whole day, it felt like it was so slow, and it just felt so long to spend a day kind of going to a funeral. and doing, but, but here's Israel is spending a month. They're spending a month grieving over the death of Moses. And, and we are seeing throughout Scripture that this is a right and good thing. You see, just because the promise of land of heaven is true for God's saints, it does not mean we do not grieve their death. You know, there are many in the world today that would try to, to tell you that death is just natural, that it's just a part of life, that it's just moving on, that we should be okay with it, that we should be at peace with death, that we should just kind of slowly move into it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that death is an enemy. It is a foreign intruder. I, I, we know this by how much money we spend in the healthcare system, right? We are trying to avoid death at all costs. Death is our enemy. It is a foreigner. It is something that we do not want. We rage against death. And so when death comes, we grieve over it. We mourn over it because this is not the way the world is supposed to be. And yet, when a saint dies, by saint, I mean a Christian, Christians are holy ones, set apart saints. That's what scripture says. When a saint dies, we are told that we are to grieve, but we are not to grieve as those who have no hope because we have the hope of heaven. Every year, our elders from our denomination get together in what's called the General Assembly. And a month prior to our General Assembly, one of kind of the, the, the leaders in our denomination, a man named Harry Reeder suddenly died in a car accident. And it was shocking uh, to us and, and the denomination as we gathered together, we grieved over his death. But what was noted, which was interesting, is that Harry Reeder's wife, who had just become a widow 30 days earlier, was still there at General Assembly. And she had come because she was a part of the choir and she wanted to sing to the Lord in the midst of the people of God. And one of the speakers noted he says, we sing through our grieving. That's what we Christians do. I love that line. We sing through our grieving. That's what we Christians do. We grieve over death. 
But we do not grieve without hope. We grave with the hope of the heavenly promised land. And so I'm curious, has someone you loved died? Maybe even a spiritual mentor. It is good to grieve deep, to grieve long, but grieve singing of the hope of heaven. So we have the promised land of Moses, which is also our promised land, the the promised land of heaven. We have the painful loss of Moses in which people grieve over the loss, even in the hope of heaven. And finally, we have the powerful legacy of Moses. Look at verse nine with me. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, that's Joshua, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses, at the direction of the Lord, raised up a godly successor in this man, Joshua. And what we learn about Joshua here is is nothing about his leadership skills. What we learn is that he is full of the spirit of wisdom. That is Joshua's legacy, full of spirit and wisdom. And Joshua is a part of Moses' legacy. Moses has walked with Joshua, talked with Joshua, mentored Joshua. Uh, I have a friend who attended Master's Seminary in California, and some of you know John MacArthur, who runs that seminary. And uh, when, when he has graduating seniors, uh, he will say to them, hey, when you, when you go to a church, what is the first thing you should do? And, and they'll always say, preach the word. And they'll say, no, develop leadership. <laughs> That's what he'll say. I don't know if I agree, but, but the point is, is that leadership is so important. It's been said that success without a successor is net failure. Part of Moses' legacy was raising up a spiritual successor to take over when the Lord called him home. This is something that all of us are called to do. This is why youth ministry and children's ministry in our church is so important. This is why parenting is so important. It's because we are called to leave a legacy of faith, to raise up spiritual successors. When we invest in our children, we are investing in the church today, but we are investing in the leadership of the church of tomorrow. Verse 10 through 13. The, le- the eulogy of Moses, verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. A prophet is someone who speaks the word of God. And Moses is a prophet unlike any other mo- prophet they had seen. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, except maybe this final chapter. Maybe Joshua wrote that. But, but he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the establishment for Christianity, for Judaism, for Israel. And so he did pretty amazing big things as a prophet. That's one of his legacies. Furthermore, Moses spoke to God face to face. And when he spoke to God face to face, he didn't die. If you remember when they came out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai and Moses would go up the mountain to Mount Sinai and he would speak to the Lord face to face and he would come down and his, his, his face was so bright, so shiny that it was too bright for the people and he'd have to cover up with a veil because he went and spoke to the Lord face to face and did not die, which is a miracle in and of itself. Verse 11. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. One website lists 42 miracles that Moses did in the Old Testament. 
starting with his staff turning into a serpent, ending with healing of Israel when he lifted up a bronze servant. Of course, there were the 10 plagues that started with blood in the Nile and the death of the youngest son for those who did not put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. And then you have the parting of the Red Sea, the provision of bread, of manna, and of water in the wilderness, miraculous victories over enemy armies. Moses was used by God in many ways. Moses did not do these miracles, but he was a conduit of the miracles and the power of God for the people of God to bring salvation to them, to bring protection to them. Moses is not perfect. We know this, but this is the legacy Moses left. He was a man who developed spiritual leaders. He was a man who spoke to the Lord face to face. He was a man who was used by the Lord in so many ways to bring salvation and provision to God's people. Legacy is a big deal. It's something we think a lot about when we think about the most important things in life. Maya Angelou says, if you're going to live, leave a legacy. Make a mark on the world that can't be erased. Shannon Alder says, carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the mind of others. Another person said, legacy is not leaving something for people, it's leaving something in people. Billy Graham said, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Friends, can I ask you, what legacy are you leaving? What legacy do you want to leave? Are are you asking these questions? I hope you're asking these questions because on your deathbed is not the time to ask the question what legacy you want to leave. The, The time to ask the question what legacy you want to leave is right now while you're still healthy and young and able to to fulfill that legacy. If you want to leave a godly legacy, let me encourage you to take some time this afternoon, maybe this week, to, to sit down with the Lord and in prayer, write out maybe a few things, like these are the legacies that I want to leave behind for, for my children, for my grandchildren, for the world. And then share it with someone. And then, in faith, be strong and courageous and step out to leave that legacy knowing that the Lord God is with you always. Moses was not a perfect man but he left a godly legacy. He raised up spiritual leaders. He spoke to the Lord face to face and he was used by the Lord to bring forth salvation and provision for the people of God. May the same be said of us as well. Let me end with this. Something kind of strange struck me about this passage uh, in a a way that's somewhat unique to me. Several years ago, we, we preached through the book of Exodus. And, and during that time, I, I realized that, that when Israel is in Egypt, it is a picture of our slavery to sin, when we are in bondage to sin and into Satan. And then the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, the going through the Red Sea, represents our salvation of when we come to faith in Christ and we are freed and we are liberated. The wandering in the wilderness represents the Christian's day-to-day life, that, that we are blessed by God and provided by God, but we live in a broken and fallen world. And of course, as we talked about today, when they cross into the promised land, it is a picture of us crossing into the promised land of heaven. But the thing that was striking to me 
This is going to sound really bad at first, so please don't take a sound bite and tell it to other people. I'm kind of like Moses, okay? <laughs> don't tell people Pastor Dan said that, but I'm kind of like Moses. Not that I did great miracles like Moses did or, or anything like that. I'm not the humblest man on the face of the earth like Moses was. I, I didn't lead people out of bondage in Egypt. But I'm kind of like Moses in this way. As your pastor and as an elder, I'm given the privilege of being a spiritual leader for this congregation as we wander through the wilderness of this world together. But because of my sin, because of my failure, because of my rebellion against God, I cannot lead you into the promised land. Nor can your elders, nor can your parents, nor can your spiritual heroes in the faith lead you into the promised land. I can shepherd you in this world. The elders can shepherd you in this world. Your parents can shepherd you in this world. But none of us can take you into the promised land. Only the greater Joshua can take you into the promised land. Moses knew this. Parents, you need to know this. Billy Graham knew this. You know, it's interesting because on his, on his gravestone, there is one more thing on there. At the bottom, you can see John 14, 6. And what John 14, 6 says is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. You do not come to the Father through your pastor. You do not come to the Father through your parents' faith. You do not come to the Father through the saints like Billy Graham and Moses. You only come to the Father through the greater Joshua, Jesus Christ. And so let me ask, have you come to Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus? Not only must you decide on your legacy before you die, you must also decide where your hope is for eternity before you die. Do you, like Moses, admit your sin and rebellion against God? Confess the consequences of your sin is death and then trust in Jesus and his death on the cross on your behalf for him to be your greater Joshua to lead you into the promised land where you will be gathered together with the people of God and dwell in the presence of God and rest in the arms of God forever. Friends, there are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way to the promised land. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for this moment to pause and to consider the bigger things in life. I know I'm so distracted by the busyness of running to and fro, of, of, of media, social media, TV. It's, just, it's so distracting. It keeps us from, from thinking with depth and the things that are so important. So God, we're so thankful that we get to come here at church on Sunday and we get to think about the things that matter most in this life and the life to come. And so, God, we pray that, that you would help us to look to the greater Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will take us into the promised land of heaven. And let us rejoice that you have not abandoned us or forsaken us, but that you have sent your son to save us onto yourself, to be in your presence, to be in your arms for all eternity. We praise you for this in Jesus' name.
Amen.